listening to the podcast Advertising Playbook, your resource to better understand and execute successful podcast ad campaigns. Hello and welcome to the podcast Advertising Playbook. I'm your host, Heather Osgood, and I am joined today by Tom Webster. Now, Tom is a partner at Sounds Profitable. Super excited to have him on the show. Tom, I can't believe it's been over a year that you've been at Sounds Profitable. Yeah, I, I, I forget what the one-year anniversary gift is. It's cotton or paper or something you know, <laughs> for, your, for your listeners who are looking for that special something. But yeah, I joined in, in June of 2022. I started June 1st, and it's been over a year now. So it's amazing to me how much research you've been able to accomplish since you've been there. How many research projects have you done? We've done five, and the sixth will come out at Podcast Movement on the, on the 23rd of August, where I'll be previewing it in a keynote, actually. So yeah, it'll be six in less than a year and a half. It's uh, been a pretty good clip. Yeah, very, very impressive. And I wanted to talk to you today specifically about the podcast opportunity, buyer perceptions of podcast advertising. So this is a study that recently came out, and I would say it's probably one of my favorites that you've put together. And the reason that I liked it so much is because we're talking to podcast advertisers about why they buy, what they're looking to buy. But on the flip side, we're also talking to buyers that aren't purchasing. So they're media buyers that aren't buying. And I found it really fascinating that 35% of the people you interviewed said that they were currently purchasing ads, but 65% weren't. Now, many of those said they would purchase in 2023, which is, you know, terrific, but there still is obviously a much bigger number of people who aren't buying. Um, I'm curious, when you put this study together, what were you hoping to gain from it? Why did you, why did you conduct the research project? Well, you know, primarily it came from our our partners, and we have over, we have about 140 partners now at Sounds Profitable. And as we were soliciting, you know, the kinds of things that we could inquire about in our research series, having some kind of a buyer perception study really came up. And so uh, we waited for a while to do it. We wanted to do it right. It's expensive and difficult to do this kind of, of work to get a good sample, right? But we ended up with a really good vetted, qualified sample of, of over 300 buyers. And we also did some qualitative research with some real veteran buyers in the space, people who are, I guess, kind of at the at the tip of the spear who would have a lot of experience. But I think, you know, one of the reasons why I was intrigued to put this study together was I, I wanted to find out how much of the lack of buying, let's say, of podcasting, because podcasting continues to punch below its weight in mm -hmm. advertising revenue, how much of that is due to a lack of education and awareness and how much of that is due to you know, trier rejectors of the medium and how much of that is due to our fault, stuff that we can fix and, and things like that. So, uh, and, you know, there's no binary truth here. There are elements of truth to all of those things. And we really wanted to quantify that in this project. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you definitely found some really interesting, you know, things out doing this research. And so we'll, we'll dig into those for sure. But I wanted to kind of start, I always like to start with the ad type, because for me, it's important that we look at what people are actually buying. And when I talk about ad type, I mean, are they buying direct from, you know, a podcaster that could be through a representation firm that could be just from the podcast themselves that could be through a network or are they buying programmatically and for me that programmatic piece is 
the one that's kind of the wild card right now. And so I, I like to kind of dig into that. And so I found that it was interesting kind of looking at ad types. So it looks like 55% were buying from Spotify, 53% bought with a publisher or a network, 43% bought directly from a single podcast, 41% bought programmatically through a DSP platform, and then 28% bought through a, a private marketplace. And so for me, the piece that was most interesting in this was that 55% specifically through Spotify. And I guess I'm curious what your thoughts are about how important Spotify is to the overall kind of ecosystem. I know obviously they have contributed, you know, contributed so heavily, they've invested so heavily in this space, but I was, I was surprised by that, to be honest. Were you surprised? Uh, no. And I, I think, um, you know, and obviously the, all of the, all of those numbers add up to way more than a hundred people buy multiple types, right. uh, but you know, there Spotify right now, I think, has the kind of tracking, sort of direct to user tracking that so many advertisers, I think, are kind of spoiled, <laughs> you know, that they get from Google, that they get from Facebook, because Spotify has the actual user data. And so, you know, that that's a compelling sale. And But I think it also speaks to the ease of buying, right? Mm -hmm. And that's something I think that's a good message for the entire industry in, in, in terms, especially of ad tech and uh, and how we enable the and facilitate the buying of of advertisements on podcasts, right? Is it, it's actually pretty. This isn't an ad for Spotify; they don't need it, but it's easy to buy. Right. Um, and that's you know that sort of ease of of user experience, I think, plays into that a little bit because you know ultimately the people traffic in the trafficking in the in the buying of podcast advertising uh, are are looking for the easiest possible path, right? To reduce mm -hmm. friction. So one of the findings I think of this study is that the, the podcast space has grown enormously. The audience has grown enormously. And I think in some cases, the ad tech has to catch up a little bit with that uh, to make things easier to buy, to make things easier to track and measure. Those tools are there, uh, but, but we did absolutely hear some friction, especially with more experienced buyers about, about the process. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. The other thing I find really fascinating that I don't know if everybody realizes is that Spotify is selling at a, a very high CPM. I, you know, at true native media, we are recipients of some of their span dollars and their CPMs are nearly as high as our host red direct sales. They're not quite as high, but really, really competitive. And for me, I think that that speaks volumes that really, as you said, a lot of it is the ease of buying. A lot of it is the information that comes along with that purchase. And yeah, I, I just found that that was really interesting. Uh, I also thought that it was interesting that really the, the programmatic piece is still not as high as I would have thought that it would have been at this kind of point in the evolution of the industry. What are your thoughts about programmatic just in general? I think there's, there's two, you know, there are multiple reasons for that, but I think that two of the primary ones, you know, are number one, I think, especially for people that have been in the industry a long time that are experienced buyers and that are buying for multiple brands. So not just a, you know, someone who's at a brand buying directly, uh, is that they start to run into things like brand suitability a little bit more. And they start to field some questions about, well, 
you know, what happens if our ad appears in, in next to this kind of content or that kind of content. And, you know, to some extent, I think podcasting gets tagged uh, a little unfairly with that. That's, you know, that's possible in so many other kinds of, of media, right? It's, mm -hmm. you know, it's possible in AM, FM radio, and there are no tools to prevent that. Right. So that's, that's, I think some part of it is that it, there needs to be certainly uh, increased adoption usage and in some cases awareness of the of the brand safety and suitability tools that are available mm -hmm. to us uh but i also think and this is true for a lot of the responses in the survey i think a lot of buyers whether that's at the brand level or at the agency level that have not bought podcasting may have looked at it a few years ago they may have looked at it five years ago or six years ago and the tools weren't as robust then right mm -hmm. Um, and I, I just think that that no one's kind of knocked on their door and said, you, did you know that actually we can geotarget? Did you know that actually we mm -hmm. have incredible contextual targeting? So there's, there needs to be not just education, but almost a reintroduction of podcasting mm -hmm. for some of those buyers. Because, you know, if you looked at it as a medium six, seven years ago, uh, it's, it's not much more capable. Same. Yeah. Yeah it's, yeah. it's it's not even remotely the same. Yeah. It, it, the tools available to it are incredible. And so I think we've got a lot of people who tried it or looked into it, and, you know, and at the time it didn't meet their needs and, and they mm -hmm. kind of need a, a reintroduction and just to, not to monopolize this Heather, but the ultimate goal, I think of anybody, especially at the agency level, working with brands is don't get fired. And if something is working, people are unlikely to change it. Right. And yes. if last year's media plan didn't include podcasting and the client was happy, they may not poke the bear with that, especially if they're dealing with an outdated uh, perception of what mm -hmm. podcasting's about. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that is such a good point. And I mean, just in marketing in general, I always fall back to that old quote, which is, you know, I know 20% of my advertising works. I just don't know which 20%. And when you're buying media and it's your job to make sure that it all works and that at the end of the day, we're up, you know, profits are up. You don't want to make a lot of changes and it makes sense. And, and there is still this level of grayness, right. in podcast advertising that makes it really, really difficult. So next I wanted to talk a little bit about host reads and I found this really fascinating. So 87% of respondents said that they were buying host read ads, but when you asked what value are you looking for, only 20% of respondents said that host read ads were a factor in their making a decision to buy from someone. And I thought that was really fascinating. Obviously, I'm a huge fan of the host read ad. I think, I think that it still is kind of the unsung hero of advertising period. But the fact that the buyers said that they really like that wasn't a huge factor in why they were deciding to advertise somewhere. And then yet 87% of our ads are, and when we say host read, I believe that that was with an endorsement and without an endorsement, but it's still host read, right? I thought that was fascinating. Did you see that when you were looking at the, the research? Yeah, I think it comes down to outcomes. And, you know, if, if somebody buys TV, right, if they buy spots on, uh, you know, young Sheldon, or something like that. Sheldon's not going to read your ad. It's not an expectation that people have necessarily. Mm -hmm. But I think what they what they are buying is an outcome. And you know, some of that data that you're referring to, I, I think what the most important aspect of that is when we asked uh, buyers, both at the agency and brand side, what's the most important criteria for you, criterion 
let's be correct. What is the most important criterion for you when you're choosing a publisher? The number one answer was ad creative. And ad creative can be host read, like, and the host can have a lot mm -hmm. to do with that. But honestly, it just has to do with doing something uh, apropos of the name of your company that is native to the medium that that utilizes the full benefits of the medium uh, mm -hmm. and 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 fits in contextually and tone wise with with the content and uh, is part of just you know an, an integrated campaign and not just a a, a screaming ad. So. You know, at host red, I think is a major component of ad creative. Mm -hmm. It's what makes ads compelling, especially uh, when they're heard repeatedly and and you're able to alter that creative a little bit and, and you're able to get the the personal slant or tone of, of the host in there. That's a huge part of it. But I think it's just creative solutions in general that buyers are really looking for. Yes, I totally agree. But I also thought that it was ironic that 59% of of advertisers repurposed other audio ads from other audio platforms so it was like i felt like that seemed off too so here we're saying creative is the most important and yet 59 percent of buyers are willing to repurpose creative from another audio format that isn't actually going to probably translate well i think that you could be cynical and look at that as as you know laziness uh i didn't say that word Heather, <laughs> but but that is in fact the word i was going to say but I, but I don't know that it's that at all. I, I think one of the reasons why we are producing all of the research that we're producing at Sounds Profitable is to remove obstacles, dispel myths, and and sort of put success in our way in, in the podcasting business. And I think if you are, if you're being told by a publisher, the the radio version of this ad that, you know, reusing the radio is not going to be as successful uh, if I'm an advertiser, I'm okay. So what is help me out here? Because mm -hmm. I, I I may not have that capability, right? So I think the publishers that incorporate creative services well and offer that, I think are going to are going to succeed very well. I mean, we know what's going to work better. That's the that's the kind of of work that you traffic in every day. Heather. We know what's going to work mm -hmm. better. There's, it's not a it's not a, a big mystery there. Uh, but the more evidence that we can provide to buyers and to brands that. You know what? You're you're improving your odds here. You're dramatically increasing your outcomes if you don't reuse the broadcast creative for this. Um, you know that's that's the message that I think has to get out there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think that for me, there are two big elements with creative. Number one, as we move into I think a heavier programmatic space, I really would love to see more creative agencies really develop the skill for how to create good podcast ads. And I also really believe that most hosts have no idea how to create a good ad. And I think that we're all guilty in this industry of sending a host far too many talking points and saying, hey, go ahead and create a great ad out of this when they have no idea what the first step is even to create a good ad. But ultimately, good creative is huge. And, you know, Paul Reese Mandel says this, and I know I've said it several times on the podcast, but I feel like it's so important that in podcasting, it's not about gaining someone's attention. It's about holding it when you get to the ad. And when you're taking audio ads from other platforms and you're repurposing it, it's just so different that it doesn't, it doesn't translate well, but that creative piece, I think is one of the missing elements um, in the industry right now. Yeah. And I think, you know, some of that is equipping the hosts a little bit better. And some of that is expecting more from the hosts. Um, I, I don't think, I don't think we can just 
turn over some talking points to a host and say, here, make this sing. Some of the worst ads I've ever heard in my life have been live ad-libbed host reads. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm thinking of one podcast in particular it was doing an ad for a financial services company. And the host was really waxing poetic about it for, I clocked it four and a half minutes. And I'm sure that he thought he was doing a good job for the advertiser and the advertiser thought, Hey, wow, four and a half minutes about us. That's amazing. But it was lousy. I mean, it's, it's, it's content, it's all content. And, you know, one of the things that I think you have to really express to talent is if you're doing a, a you know an hour podcast that has four minutes of ads in it, right? You are working very hard to make 56 of those minutes the best you can. Why would you not do that with the other four? Mm-hmm. Because it is in fact, all content. And, mm-hmm. you know, part of that is, again, equipping the hosts a, a little bit better. But, you know, it's also, I think, expecting more. Um, I, I hear way too many DAI host read ads that haven't been refreshed in three, four, five months. There's no reason for that. You, yeah. you know, a, a host could knock off eight, nine different versions of, of those ads in less than an hour and have those rotated as opposed to the same DAI ad. There's, that's just a failure of the imagination. So, you know, there's 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 work to be done all around on that, mm-hmm. but ultimately it's about uh, care. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree with you. It's care. And I love, I've heard you say that before, and I love that you need to spend as much time on your ad creative as you do on your content creative. And yeah, one of the reasons that I am in podcasting is because Gimlet did such an amazing job on their ad reads. And I, I know as a listener, I was like, this is an ad read. Like it took me some time before I realized it wasn't actually a segment of the show. And for me, they are still the gold standard in how to really do good ads. I wanted to talk a little bit about brand awareness versus kind of this direct response conversion piece. 51% of, of advertisers said that they were looking for brand awareness, which was kind of at the top. That was the top result. And only 27% said that they were in it for sales conversions. And I thought that was really interesting because I still always feel like we're in this very big direct response space. And I thought that was encouraging because for me, ultimately, brand awareness is where we can land and really grow the dollars because when I also think when we're looking at programmatic ad buying, you're not going to have the same kind of direct response with programmatic ad buying. Really, it does then kind of lend itself to more of that brand space. But what were your thoughts about that? Yeah, I mean, I actually found it uh, kind of funny that brand awareness was was number one in that because just from a reach perspective, podcasting might not be my first choice uh, for, you know, for a brand awareness campaign. It really depends on the segment you're trying to reach. But, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, I think if you are uh, a brand that has sort of, you know, moved early and often and, you know, kind of dominated a category, right? You look at brands like uh, Better Help or Athletic Greens and things like that, where they have, try selling online therapy now, uh, <laughs> right? because they've just sort of moved in and done that, but they've also done a lot of testing. They've also done a lot of work on what does and doesn't work. And that's what, that's what doesn't kind of get seen there. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, I, I, I do think awareness for a lot of the brands that have gotten us to this point in podcasting is absolutely a goal. I mean, so many of the top advertisers in podcasting don't advertise a lot in other spaces, right? Like the two that I just named. So it's absolutely a goal for them. Um, but you know, on the other hand, and this 
kind of goes back to the study we did before the podcast opportunity called The Media Moves the Message. You have brands in there, like top advertising brands and podcasting, like you know McDonald's. McDonald's was top five share of voice last year. They're not going to increase their brand awareness, but but they were able to show positive lift in middle and lower funnel measures as well. Um, and I I think you know we need to get more of the McDonald's and the mm-hmm. and the progressives and the Geico's in there, but we also need to equip them with information. We need to arm them with. Uh, I hate the term best practices, but we we at least need to get them to think about podcasting as not just kind of radio in your pocket, but as a different dog and and to do the mm-hmm. work or allow publishers and and uh, and agencies to do the work to really help their campaigns and podcasting sing. Mm-hmm. And and that's, I think, the, the work that needs to be done. I'm curious what your thoughts are about the industry being on the same page itself. You know, I, I think that often it feels really fragmented to me. And part of the reason that we're not able to have a good message for advertisers is because we don't all have the same message. And I know it sounds profitable. You recently put out just kind of a dictionary of terms within the industry, which I thought was extremely helpful because for me, I still feel so often like we're just all playing our own little games and there isn't enough cohesion to go to bigger buyers and bigger agencies and have them say, oh, yes, I spoke to somebody else yesterday from a different company and they said the same things. So it's like if if I'm, let, let's say, the, the third salesperson in that week to talk with a buyer and my message is totally different than the two they talked to prior, how what message does that send? Do you think that that's part of the issue? Yeah, I think there's a couple things. Uh... You know, number one, I think we need to continue to upgrade our sales staff and our sales mm-hmm. talent. For a while, I think it was really easy to kind of wait for the phone to ring. And now the past few, you know, the past half year, three quarters of a year or so, it's uh, the phone doesn't ring as often for anybody. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there, there's that kind of work to be done, I think. Um, but also everyone is sort of selling their own thing right now. And mm-hmm. we're not getting a lot of uh, help, I think, to sort of consolidate and centralize what it is that we're doing. And it's one of the reasons why we did put out that glossary because people are talking about things differently in in from different perspectives. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, I think it's all in service of making podcasting easy to buy. Mm-hmm. And podcasting, I think, is fairly easy to buy. But I, you know, I I I remember a number of years ago, I went to a Nielsen conference. Uh, and this one, this one was about radio and and there were, you know, a whole bunch of people you know, consultants and researchers and advertisers. And, and, uh, you know, this was a number of years ago. And one of the, uh, uh, special guests were the two political operatives that bought a lot of the ads for both the Republicans and the Democrats during the presidential election mm-hmm. in that year. And I, I, you know, I think that was maybe 2008 might've been, might've been that election. And you had all these radio people in the audience and they were asking these two operatives, why aren't you spending more on radio? Why aren't you spending more on radio? Because these two controlled a crap ton of ads for the candidates and stuff. And and one of them looked at them all and said, you know, you, you, you make it sound like it's easy for us to do that. But think about this. If I'm representing somebody who's running for governor in Michigan and I want to buy Michigan, how do I do that with you guys? I can't. You know, you say it's easy. It's not easy. You know, I have to go market by market, company by company and 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 pick and choose. I can't just I, like I want to just buy Michigan and you don't let me do that. 
And there was all kinds of hemming and hawing in the audience. And like, they didn't like to be told that their baby was ugly. <laughs> Um, and I think, you know, the tools that we have in podcasting are, are are so much better than that. But we do always have to keep in mind that the customer is not the listener. The customer is the buyer. And we need to, and if the buyer wants to buy Michigan, we got to figure that out. We got to figure mm-hmm. out a way to make it easy. We got to figure out a way to make that process uh, as painless and friction free as possible and as trackable and measurable as possible. And the good news is we have those tools. I just don't think they're together in a complete package yet. Uh, but mm-hmm. A lot of because of a lot of this fragmentation that we have. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. One of the things that Brian Barletta has actually said to me that I, when he told me, I was like, Oh, that's such a good point is right now. A lot of our ad tech is coming from hosting companies and you would never look to your web host to give you ads. And, and I really, as much as I love all of my hosting partners out there, there's some really amazing companies doing hosting. They don't, all get advertising, nor should they get advertising. And, you know, when we're looking at things like frequency capping and even ad rotation, I mean, believe it or not, you can't upload multiple versions for the same advertiser in Megaphone and just have them rotate. Like, can't do it. And it's just, some of it is just so frustrating to me because it, it the, the tech really hasn't come to where it should be. And I, I think partly it's because the wrong types of people are creating the tech. I, don't know. I think that's a really good point. Of course, some things in Megaphone, I think it uh, have been pulled back. I, I think there was sort of a you know round robin capability to be able to put in multiple versions of a creative at one point. I'm, I'm not sure what happened to that, but um, it, it, it is true, I think, that a lot of the ad tech right now is focused on solving a technical problem, but not a user problem. Yes. Um, and and that's I think that's very true of ad tech in yes. ad tech in general and, and ad tech in podcasting. And the ad tech providers, I think, need to do a little bit more work uh, with the buyers, with the people putting the campaigns together to talk ab- about campaign goals and outcomes and not about serving ads and, and, and things like that and and how the ads are served and, and, and kind of the technical tools, because, you know, ultimately hearing an ad that's 15 decibels softer than the rest of the show or hearing the same ad four times in a show, they're not achieving outcomes. Um, and so ad tech has to be outcomes focused in order to, to kind of fix all that. Yep. Totally agree. Well, I know we need to start wrapping it up here. One of the things that you had said in your wrap up of this study that I listened to was that there is no demand for client brands when agencies are putting these plans together, the clients are not saying, I want podcast advertising. So it's really ultimately a bit of a PR problem. And I I thought that you were spot on when you made that observation because, and as you've already said too, maybe there are buyers that had visited the medium six or seven years ago. It's very different now. So part of what we have to do, and I think, as you have already mentioned as well, we need a sales army out there. We don't have that sales army. We need people knocking on the doors of of brands directly and saying, hey, you should be considering podcast advertising. And then they're going to go to their agency and say, hey, what what's up with podcast advertising? How can I do this? But we don't really have that piece yet. What are your thoughts about how we could create that? I think we need to do that at the consumer level. I mean, ultimately, mm. um, agency employees and buyers, they're also uh, media consumers, right? Mm-hmm. And and they leave work every day or turn off their Zoom 
and they they put audio on and mm-hmm. they if they're not listening to podcasts and podcasts are not part of their lives as consumers then it's not going to be part of their lives as buyers just two quick anecdotes about that you know number one uh and remember for a long time i would get calls from analysts on wall street uh asking for opinions about radio companies and it was their opinion that absolutely nobody listened to radio because everybody subscribed to sirius xm and everybody in their peer group and socioeconomic strata in in New York and Manhattan probably did right. Mm-hmm. Uh, you are sort of what you're surrounded with. And I once I once consulted a radio station in Dubai, uh, and and they were looking for a sort of you know should we change format? And the research came back overwhelmingly that that there was a news talk hole to fill there. Uh, but the the station management said no, we're going to stick with classic rock because that's what the buyers listen to. And, and, and like that stuck with me for a long time and, and they actually were able to make a lot of money with a not very good station because of that. But I, I but I do think, you know, getting agency people and, and buyers to, uh, to be consumers of the format helps because, and I don't know, I'm probably going to get in trouble for this, but the, the number one podcast and not by a little, it's by a crap ton. It's by multiples is Joe Rogan, Yes, right? Joe Rogan podcast is so much more popular than number two in every behind the scenes work I've ever done and every, any kind of metric and, and ranker I've ever seen. And if you talk to somebody who just has very little knowledge of the space and you say, if you thought about buying podcasts and they say, oh, you mean like Joe Rogan? Is that good? I don't know if that's good. Um, I don't know that that's exactly the best we have to offer to ev- to all buyers and all sellers, you know? So I, I just think there's a lot more work to be done just from a consumer education mm-hmm. standpoint, let alone a buyer education mm-hmm. standpoint. One thing that has always really kind of stood out to me is that when you, when you look at podcast listenership, there's always like, oh, well, 70% of the U.S. population listens to podcasts. And it's like, no, that's has ever listened to a podcast. Like when you re- actually drill down to like, active listeners, usually you're talking about 30 to 40% of the population. And I think sometimes it's hard because we love podcasting so much that we just think everybody gets it and everybody listens to it. But there, I, I really do think that there's just a segment of the population that's just really not that interested in podcasting. And so that in and of itself could be a challenge for us as an industry always, right? You know, I, I think I would think that we probably need to tip the 50% active listeners to really gain a lot of headway. What are your thoughts? I think there's an even deeper uh, stat and data point to look at, and that's the centerpiece of the research that we're debuting at Podcast Movement in a couple of weeks. Um, and that is and that is to really understand churn and mm-hmm. to really understand what causes people to sort of cycle in and out of being an active podcast listener because there's a lot more churn going on under the kind of modest year to year growth. And, you know, I think we already have all of the audience we're going to get in terms of people that are interested in podcasting, right? Mm -hmm. People that love podcasting and podcasts and are looking for the next podcast. We have all of them we're going to get. Uh, The the more recent growth has been people that like a show. They're there for a show. They're not there. They're not there. there, Like you said, for Joe Rogan, they're there for Joe Rogan, right? They're not necessarily there for podcasting. Correct. So they happen to listen to a podcast and they would be counted in that number, but that doesn't mean that they're a podcast listener. That just means they happen to like a show and there are more of those than you think. And so I, I, again, I think there's just, 
you know, so much more work that needs to be done. You know, as someone that's done a lot of that work in other media, it just, I just grit my teeth and plow forward and, and hope we're all going to get there, but I know there's work to be done. Yeah. Yeah. There is work to be done, but for me, that's the fun part. That's why we're here. Right. Absolutely. Well, Tom, thank you so much for being on the show today. I'm really excited to listen to the new study that you guys have coming out at Podcast Movement. If somebody would like to connect with you, where can they find you? Uh, soundsprofitable.com. Probably the best way to connect with us and, and keep up to date with what we're doing is to subscribe at Sounds Profitable to, well, at least uh, the day that we're recording this on August 2nd, we are going to premiere a daily newsletter about the business of podcasting. Um, and that's you know, something we're very excited about. You can subscribe to that and our weekly newsletter, which I write for a lot and, and podcasts of all of those things, uh, at soundsprofitable.com. Wonderful. Well, I am excited that you guys are moving to daily. Congratulations on that. Excited to read that. And uh, yeah, thanks for being on the show. Thanks Heather. And thank you for listening. I hope that you have enjoyed this episode as much as I have. I know I have quite a few more questions for Tom that I didn't get to today. So I'm sure we'll have him back at some point. And if not, please try to hit him up because he is a wealth of knowledge. And thanks for listening. We'll catch you again next week. Thank you for listening to the Podcast to Advertising Playbook, your source to a better understanding of the podcast to advertising industry. 